Star Wars, The Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly, read by Alec Bowles. Han Solo's Revenge Eight. General quarters or any call to stations can be disorderly in even a well-run military spacecraft. On a passenger liner like the Lady of Mindor, where run-throughs and practices were all but ignored, it was total confusion. Therefore, Han Solo paid scant attention to the garbled and frequently contradictory instructions blared by the public address enunciators. With Fiola in tow, he plunged down the passageway as panicky passengers, frightened crew members, and indecisive officers immobilized one another with conflicting aims and actions. What are you going to do? Fiola asked as they sidestepped a mob of passengers hammering at the purser's door. Get the rest of your cash from your stateroom, then find the nearest lifeboat bay. He heard airtight doors booming shut and tried to remember the layout of these old M-class ships. It would be disastrous to be trapped by the automatic seal-up. Solo, tractor in! Fiola bawled, dragged her slippered feet, and finally halted him. Catching her breath, she continued, I have my money with me. Unless you want to tip the robo-valet, we can get going. He was once again impressed. Very good. We keep going aft. There should be a boat just forward of the power section. He recalled that his macro binoculars were back in his cabin, then wrote them off. Ahead of them, an airtight door had just begun grinding shut. They made it in a sprint, though the hem of Fiola's shimmer silk caught in the hatchway, and she had to tear a ragged edge off it to free herself. A month's pay this thing cost me, she complained ruefully. What's it going to be now? Fight or run? A little of both. The fool captain of this can must have tripped every door in the ship. How does he think his crew will get to battle stations? He started on. Maybe he doesn't intend to fight, she puffed, staying right at his heels. I hardly think a liner's crew could make a fight of it against a pirate, do you? They'd better. Pirates aren't famous for their restraint with captives. They came to a long, cylindrical lifeboat tucked into its bay. Han broke the seal on the release lever and threw it back, but the lifeboat's hatch failed to roll open. He threw the lever forward and back again, condemning the liner's maintenance officer for not looking after his safety equipment. Listen, Fiola stopped him. The ship's captain seemed to have reasserted a certain amount of self-control. For the safety of all passengers, his voice came from the PA, and crew members alike. I've decided to accept terms of surrender offered by the vessel that disabled us. I have been assured that no one will be harmed so long as we put up no resistance and no attempt is made to launch lifeboats. With this in mind, I have overridden boat and pod releases to keep them on board. Though the ship is damaged, we are in no immediate danger. I hereby order all passengers and crew members to cooperate with the boarding parties when the pirate craft docks with ours. What makes him think they'll keep their word? Han muttered. He's been larding it on passenger runs too long. A small part of him chased after that thought. When was the last time a pirate raid had been made near the well-patrolled inner environs of the Authority? 
An attack of this sort was nearly unheard of in this part of space. Solo, look. Viola pointed to an open hatch. This one set into the liner's outer hull. He ran to it and found that it gave access to a gun turret. The hatch had obviously opened at the first alarm. The twin-barreled blaster cannon was unattended. Either its assigned crew hadn't made it to their station, or the captain had recalled them. Hiking himself through the hatch, Hans settled into the gunner's saddle as Fiola lowered herself into the gunner's mate's place. Through the blister of transparisteel enclosing the turret, they could see the pirate craft, a slender predator painted in light-absorbing black, warping in adroitly on the passenger liner. The pirate was apparently going to match up against an airlock in the lady's midsection somewhat forward of the gun turret. The emplacement was fully charged. Setting his shoulders against the rests, Han leaned against the padded hood of the targeting scope, closing his hands on the firing grips. What have you got in mind, Solo? Fiola queried sharply. If we start maneuvering the turret, they'll pick the movement up, he explained. But if we wait, they will drift right across our sights. We can get off one volley, maybe even disable them. Maybe even get ourselves killed, she suggested tartly, and everybody else into the bargain. Solo, you can't. Wrong. It's the one thing I can do. Do you think they'll keep their word about not hurting anyone? I don't. We can't escape, but we sure can take a swipe at them. Ignoring her protests, he put his shoulders to the rests and sighted through the targeting scope again. The pirate's menacing shape came into the edge of his field of fire. He held his breath, waiting for a shot at the raider's vitals, knowing he would get off only one salvo. The control section didn't quite come into his line of fire, and he let the crew quarters pass. They were probably empty, with most of the crew mustered at the airlock for boarding. The pirate wouldn't even have to put out her boats, thanks to the liner captain's meek surrender. Han peered through the scope at the next length of enemy hull, then pushed himself away from the twin cannon and began drawing himself headfirst out of the gunner's saddle. Let's go, he prompted Viola. What's this, the sudden onset of senile sanity? Inspiration's my specialty, he replied lightly. I just hope I remember the layout of this old M-Class right. It's a long time since I shipped in one. She trailed him forward again, as he studied engineer's markings on the liner's frames, talking to himself under his breath. There quickly followed the hollow, heavy concussion of the pirate making fast to the liner's hull. Han skidded to a stop and drew Fiola back into the temporary safety of a side passageway. Not too far ahead, a covey of passengers had foolishly gathered near a main airlock in defiance of the captain's instructions. Among them, Fiola recognized the priest of Nin in his green vestments, an authority assistant supervisor of plant inoculation from an agro world, and a dozen others she had come to know. All of them shrank back from the pneumatic sounds of the airlock's cycling. Then the passengers rushed away like game avians flushed from cover as the airlock's inner hatch swung open and armed boarders poured into the passageway. The boarders, wearing armored spacesuits, brandished blasters, force pikes, 
rocket launchers, and vibroaxes. They had the look of faceless, invulnerable executioners. There were orders from helmet speaker grills and cries from the passengers. The latter were ignored amid a great deal of rough handling. A takeover team dashed toward the ladies' bridge with shock grenades, fusion cutters, plasma torches, and sapper charges, in case the captain changed his mind about surrendering. A few of the boarders began herding feebly objecting passengers toward the lounge, while the rest split up into teams and began a rapid search outward in all directions from the airlock. Han led Fiola to an inboard passageway and struck out aft again, still reading frame markings, until they came to a utility locker. Inside the locker was a hatch giving access to a service core that ran the length of the ship. Normally, the hatch would have been secured shut, but it could, for safety's sake, be opened manually when the ship was on emergency status. Han undogged it and entered the service core, squatting among power conduits and thick cables. Ventilation was never good in these cores, and layers of dust had settled everywhere, deposited by the liner's wheezy circulators. Fiola made a face. What good's hiding? We're liable to wind up adrift in a derelict solo. We've got a reservation for two on the next boat out of here. Now get in. You're letting in a draft. She entered awkwardly, trailing skirt gathered in one hand, and climbed under him so that he could dog the hatch, then clumsily shifted position to let him lead the way. He noticed in the process that Fiola had two very nice legs. The trip soon had both of them dirty, hot, and irritable as they hauled themselves over, under, and between obstacles. Why is life so complicated around you? She panted. The pirates would take my money and leave me in peace, but not Han Solo. Oh, no. He sniggered nastily as he loosened the clips on a grating and wrenched it out of his way. Has it occurred to you yet that this isn't a pirate attack? I wouldn't know. I get invited to so few of them. Trust me, it's not. And they sure could have found fatter, safer targets out in the fringe areas. They're taking an awful risk hitting this close to Espo patrols. And then there's all this nonsense about not launching the boats. They're after someone in particular, and I think it's us. He was leading her in a strained squatting progress over ducks and power routing bumping heads on the occasional low-hanging conduit. There were only intermittent emergency lights, nodes that only slightly relieved the darkness. After what seemed like an eternity, he found the hatch he had been searching for, just aft of a major reinforced frame. Where are we? Fiola asked. Just under and aft of the portside airlock, he said, jerking his thumb toward the deck overhead. The lady's probably swarming with boarders by now. Then what are we doing here? Has anyone ever criticized your leadership, Solo? Never, ever. He ascended a short ladder, and she followed dubiously. But when he tried the hatch at the top, he found its valve frozen in place. Setting his shoulder to its wheel and nearly losing his footing did no more good. Here, Fiola said, handing up a short length of metal. He saw that she had pulled loose one of the ladder rungs from beneath her. You're wasting your time doing honest work, he told her frankly. 
and set the rung through the wheel spokes. The second try elicited a creaking of metal, and the wheel turned, then spun. He cracked the hatch a fraction to have a look around and saw, as he'd hoped he would, the interior of the utility locker just off the airlock's inner hatch. In it hung the maintenance-ready crew's spacesuits and tool harnesses, waiting to be donned on a moment's notice. Drawing Theola up after him, he swung the core hatch shut as silently as he could. There shouldn't be more than a guard or two out there at the airlock, he explained. I doubt that they're worried about counterattack very much. There won't be more than two or three firearms aboard the lady, all told. Then what are we doing here? She imitated his unconscious whisper. We can't hide for very long. If they have to, they'll sweep the whole ship with sensors, and I doubt that there are any shielded areas. There's only one place where we'll get an escape boat now. She caught her breath as she realized what he meant and opened her mouth to object. But he put a finger across her lips. They're slavers, not pirates, and they're not going through all this trouble just to let us live. They want to find out how much we know, then wipe our tapes for good. I'm not sure how this will work out, but if you get to the Falcon without me, you can have Zlarb's data plaque. Tell Chewie it's in the breast pocket of my thermosuit, and he'll know it's all right. She started to say something, but he put her off. Fight and run, remember? Here's what you do. The guard watching the main airlock had been following the boarding via helmet comlink. The ship was fairly well secured, and search parties were going through their assigned areas. A noise from the utility locker attracted his attention. Though difficult to identify through the sound-dampening helmet, it sounded like metal striking metal. Holding his launcher ready, the guard hit the hatch release. It swung the hatch out of the way, and he entered the utility locker. At first, he thought the room was empty. It had been searched earlier. But then he noticed the figure crouching in a futile attempt to hide behind one of the ready crew's suits. It was a terrified young woman wearing a torn evening gown. The guard swung his weapon up at once and checked out the rest of the locker, but it contained only tools and hanging spacesuits. He stepped into the locker, motioning with the launcher, switching to external address mode. Come out of there right now, and I won't hurt you. That turned out to be true in a way the guard hadn't foreseen. A weighty power pry bar caught him across the helmet and shoulder, driving him to his knees. Despite his armor, the guard was stunned for a moment, and his shoulder and arm went numb. He fumbled for his comlink controls, but the blow had smashed the transceiver on the side of his helmet. The woman dashed up to try to wrench the launcher away from him, but the guard fought to retain it. A scrabbling sound from behind him and another clout made the guard forget all about his weapon. Much of the impact was absorbed by armor and helmet padding, but the blow had been so severe that even the amount that penetrated knocked him out flat on his face, dazed, with a huge dent in his helmet. Han Solo, still in the spacesuit by which he dangled from a hook in ambush, threw himself on the raider and quickly slipped a tool harness around him, drawing it tight to pin his arms. With another, he bound the man's legs. Fiola watched the entire process nervously, 
gazing at the shoulder-fired rocket launcher she held as if it had materialized out of thin air. Han rose and gently took the weapon from her. He found it to be loaded with anti-personnel rounds, flechette canisters. Those wouldn't hurt a border inside his armored spacesuit, but they'd be graphically effective against unprotected passengers and crew members. Han would have preferred a blaster, but the old-fashioned launcher would suffice for now. His voice was muted by the helmet he wore. We don't know whether he's supposed to check in or what. All we can do is go. Ready? She tried to smile, and he encouraged her with a grin. He closed the utility locker hatch behind him, and in a moment they had crossed through the boarding tube and entered the raider craft. The passageway there was empty. They must have the whole panting pack out looking for us, he thought. Picturing the raider's hull as he had seen it when she'd warped in at the lady, he started aft, heading for the boat bay that had made him stay his hand in the gun turret. He pushed Fiola along in front of him and held the launcher at high port as if she were his prisoner. The spacesuit might keep him from being recognized as an outsider in the disorder of the boarding. It was at least worth a try. He saw the caution lights and marker panels of a ship's boat bay ahead. You there, halt, he heard a voice behind him shout. He pretended not to hear and gave Fiola a shove on her way, but the voice repeated the command, halt. He spun on his cleated heel, brought the launcher up, and found himself staring at a face he recognized. It was the black-haired man who had appeared in the message tape, the one who was to have met Zlarb. He and another man in armored spacesuits, helmets thrown back, were digging at their sidearms but the pistols were held in military-style holsters, built for durability rather than speed. Might just as well have those guns home in a drawer, Han reflected dispassionately as he aimed. Viola was screaming something he couldn't take time to listen to. Both men realized at the last instant that they couldn't outshoot him and hurled themselves back, arms covering their faces just as he fired. The anti-personnel round was set for close work. The canister went off almost as soon as it left the launcher, boosting the flechettes and filling the passageway with a deafening concussion. The slavers didn't seem to be hurt, but remained on the deck where they had fallen. Han fired another AP round at them for good luck and, grabbing Fiola's elbow, ran for the boat bay. She seemed to be in shock, but didn't fight him. He opened the lock hatch and propelled her through. Find a place and grab on! He found time to bite out a malediction that he had come upon a lifeboat rather than a pinnace or boarding craft. A blaster beam mewed past him and burned out an illumination strip further down the passageway. Han knelt in the shelter of the lock and cut loose with four more rounds, emptying the launcher at the figures pounding down on him. They all dove for cover, but he didn't think he had gotten any of them. Closing both hatches, he threw himself into the boat's pilot's seat and detonated its separator charges. Unlike the liner's boats, the raider's ships were still functioning. With a stupendous jolt, the boat was blown from its lock. At the same moment, he cut in full thrust, and the lifeboat leaped as if it had been kicked. Hans swung hard, relying on steering thrusters alone here, where there was no atmosphere to affect the tumbling boat's control surfaces. 
He piloted grimly to miss the liner's hull and looped up to put the bulk of the Lady of Mindor between himself and the slaver's vessel. Opening the boat's engine all the way, he vectored on until he was out of cannon range, then plunged toward the surface of Amud. He freed one hand from his struggle long enough to fling back his helmet. Can we outrun them? Viola asked from the acceleration chair behind him. There's more to it than that, he said without taking his eyes from the controls. They can't come after us until they sound recall and get all their men back from the lady. And if they want to send boats after us, they'd better have some awfully hot pilots. He heard a lurching and, despite the pull of the boat's dive, Viola drew herself up to the co-pilot's chair. Sit down and stay put, he told her heatedly, if a bit late. If I'd had to maneuver or decelerate just then, you'd be scraping yourself off the bulkhead. She ignored that. He saw something else had so shocked her that she was still feeling the effect of it. Knowing how resilient she was ordinarily, he divided his attention for a moment. What's wrong? Besides the fact that we might be vaporized at any second, I mean. The man you shot at? The black-haired one? He's the one who left the message I told you about. He was Larb's connection. He turned to her sharply. Why? It was Mag, Fiola said. The blood drained from her face. It was my hand-picked personal assistant, Mag. 